Hey up, Colin. 5e rant. Liked it. I agree largely with what you're saying. I think a lot of the um, pushback from people is not so much directed at 5e. It's directed at what happens to be the most popular game. I mean, I'm no big fan of 5e. Uh, I played it for about 18 months. Uh, I enjoyed bits of it. I didn't enjoy other bits of it. But what I rile against is more the popular game. And I think one of the reasons about that is... Not, obviously, not everyone who plays, uh, you know, 5e is an arsehole. But if you want to find an arsehole, that's where I'd go to find one, if that makes sense. And it's just due to the popularity, but due to the large number of people and the great variety of people more than anything, I think. Searching for moons For an evil ogre in an ancient room Was a fortunate son of the OSR Without a ten-foot pole I wouldn't get very far The ground was murky and I caught a look As the dungeon master opened up his grim tooth book And then I fell into a spike pit Oh yeah, spike pit Oh, a bit would have spikes in it I'm Colin Green and you are listening to Spike Pit You might be wondering, is this a Spike Pit After Dark episode? But no, I can assure you that's just Shandy Andy letting off a bit of steam, I think. From what I understand of his 5e game, he wasn't too happy with his group. And I would suggest that really what we're hearing there is a little bit of a backlash to some bad play experiences. But to be fair... Most of us have have probably had those experiences and I don't really think it's got anything to do with the the system that Andy was playing. Maybe he's right, maybe there's a certain logic there, but I always think whatever hobby you're into, you're going to run into people you don't get on with. So, yeah, I don't know. Hey, Colin, Jason here on my way to work. Just listened to your episode 244. I'm very happy John Anlarge agrees with me on definition of min-maxing. That's what I called in to Joe about. If it's out of character, if the player is just figuring out the mechanical combination and they're always picking the same combination just to deal the maximum damage or something like that, so they always, then yeah, that's kind of min-maxing. If it's done in character or there's character and they're role-playing it too, then I think that's probably optimization, but I think the important takeaway from your episode is min-maxing is a derogatory term and we should stop using it. 
because it doesn't help anything. Once you start throwing around slurs and using derogatory terms, you shut down conversation. As soon as I tell you you're a chimney sweeper, you stop listening to me, right? So same thing with min maxing. We need to not use derogatory terms and we need to be positive in how we talk to each other. Talk to you later. I'm just going to pass over the definitions and discussion relating to optimization there, but I'm very pleased that Jason picked up on what I really wanted to get across, and this was the idea of restricting or thinking carefully about the language you use to avoid these unnecessarily derogatory or inflammatory type of terms. I know things get a little bit highly charged on social media and and people take their make-believe games very seriously. And that's because they're a big part of a lot of people's lives. Their livelihood oftentimes depends on it. So it, it is, strangely enough, a very serious business. And I, I think we need to be a bit more tolerant in the way we're dealing with people. I, I don't like to hear any sort of derogatory language. It serves, for me, it doesn't serve a useful purpose. I think if you're going to be talking, you, you need to make it as useful as you can. Whether you think I achieved that with this podcast, that is obviously up to you, the individual, but I genuinely do try and make make what I say meaningful at some level at least. And I think Jason is right here. If we're trying to, if we're trying to have a discussion and communicate, there needs to be a little bit of tact and diplomacy. You can still state your mind, but the minute you kind of use these terms that that rile people up, the um the shutters come down, the people close up, the conversation is it's either over or it's into some kind of crazy death spiral of abuse where both parties just descend into some slanging match and it serves no purpose and nobody gets anywhere you're just wasting your time on a somewhat lighter note now we hear from the lonely adventurer talking a little bit about his uh, enthusiasm for 5e and his inspiration for getting into the hobby gets into some territory that i'm not too familiar with but i'm sure the listeners out there maybe a little bit younger than me i'm thinking will appreciate some of these references. Hey, Colin, Lonely Adventurer. I, I definitely agree with you that the fact that 5e is bringing new people to the hobby is not the only thing that matters, but I, I think it can't be understated what a good thing that is. I might have gotten a little dramatic in my, my first call, in, uh, but it can't be understated just how good it is that it is popularizing the hobby and uh, expanding the community. As to my own start, uh, I was a huge fan of the Black and White Ninja Turtle comic books, a bunch of indie comics, and a company called Palladium Games, or Palladium Books, made a Ninja Turtles role-playing game, cut my teeth on that, and they also made a game called Robotech, which was an adapt- adaptation 
of a cartoon by the same name, which was a mashup of Macross, some other show I can't remember, and uh, Mospedia Genesis Climber, a bunch of Japanese anime that I really loved. And if you're at all familiar with Palladium Games there or their system, it's it's bizarre. It's bizarre. It's a it's a, a adaptation of something sort of similar to original Dungeons and Dragons, uh, but take the authoritarian kind of voice of Gygax in later years and ramp it up to eleven, and you get a lot of that uh, author's voice in the books. And it was uh, kind of like your your gruff old uncle telling you how to play these games all the times. Uh, and that was middle school for me. In high school, I discovered West End Games D6 Star Wars, and I played that all through high school and well into college. And then as my life got busy, I switched over to Savage Worlds for quite a while. And then I really fell in love with, uh, I took a break for a good decade. And then about 10 years ago, I discovered Fate and really fell in love with that. And what brought me to 5th edition was the enthusiasm of my students. I was teaching a class on design for tabletop gaming. Students were designing adventurers, villains, uh, environments, props, and we poured all that into a five-room dungeon, basically a one-shot using uh, Fate Accelerated as the rule system. But learning about 5th edition and the games that my students were playing in got me interested, uh, and they love it, and I can see why. It's a great game. I'm currently playing in a 5th edition game and a Black Hat game. I'm running a BX game and my own homebrew that is a mashup of BX and Ben Milton's Knave. I think personally I just prefer the OSR stuff because they are created with less constraints, uh, so they can be weirder and a bit more creative, whereas Hasbro is a massive company that has to have broader appeal, so they have to be a little more generic. Uh, but, you know, apples and oranges, right? But I love them both. If you want to hear more from The Lonely Adventurer, he's now got his podcast up and running. It's called Camping with Owlbears. And also, Zine Quest 2 is put together a zine called Glaive. Go and check that out on Kickstarter as well. I um, I actually missed out mostly on, on that anime stuff. I watched a bit of Battle of the Planets and... Oh, what was the other one? Uh... Something up Jason and the Wheeled Warriors, something like that. But the big fan in our family was my brother Arfed. He was into a lot of that stuff. I don't remember Battletech being a thing. Um, the, the closest we probably got to that was sort of like um, Transformers. But really, I, I suspect that Battle of the Planets was actually closer, now I come to think of it, and was in fact uh, Japanese. I um, I did like them, but uh, in terms of RPGs, I saw Battletech get played up at the Wargaming Club a few times. It seemed super complicated. I think it was FASA, the FASA rule set, uh, if I remember rightly. Um, but, yeah, Palladium, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Other Weirdness. I believe it might have been called, and then there was a Down Under version. I do recall my brother and his his little group, they were sort of a year and a half to two years younger than myself, and they definitely played a fair bit of that. Um, And at the time, I think I was a little bit sort of 
uh, into my music more and getting out, playing football, hanging out, hanging around with my mates down the park and stuff like that. Um, I was still role playing, but not as frequently as I had when I was a little bit younger. So thanks for the call in, Lonely Adventurer, and hope we hear from you again soon. Hey Colin, Goblin Senchman here. Did I, did I hear you right on your on the last podcast? Can you draw? I don't think I've ever heard this before. Um, if that's the case, you've been uh, either hiding your light under a bushel, or I haven't been through your back catalogue far, far enough. But uh, okay, well that sounds super interesting. I'm quite interested to see what you're what you come up with. All right, well, intriguing stuff. Okay, cheers, fella. Bye. So, Goblin's Henchman, I don't know how you missed that one. I, I'm an art student of old. That's what I studied back in college. And most recently, I've been talking about it a little bit because of Zine Quest. I'm involved with um, sorting out uh, a page in Mud Harbour. Basically, uh, the the turtle folk, or Chelonians, as I call them, was something I... I kind of offered into the Mud Harbour game that Dave Aldridge is running with Black Hack, and uh, he was kind enough that when he launched his zine project, he said, oh, you know, Colin, are you interested in working something up for your Chelonians? He also put out the uh, offer to Barney of Loco Ludos, who was uh, the, the, the man behind the reliable rickshaw runners, so we've we've both chipped into that. Obviously, that Kickstarter's over now. I'm glad it went really well. I'm super pleased for Dave and his wife Claire. A real team effort on their part, and in fact, I think I heard Barney saying on his own podcast that he was honoured to be involved, and I can only echo that sentiment. I think it's going to be a great zine and I very much look forward to seeing the finished result. It's very rare that I get accused of hiding my light under a bushel, but I'll tell you who has been hiding their light under a bushel, Mr. Henchman. We know him for his hex flowers, but he draws himself and had a discussion with him where he feels he's probably got way too rusty and lost some of his sort of childhood or skills from his younger days but I would say I, I felt exactly the same art's quite a, you know it is well not quite it's a very personal thing a bit like any kind of performance and if you if you haven't been involved in it for a little while you're definitely going to get a little bit rusty but coming back to it now I feel I, I'm I'm making good progress and building my confidence and I urge others who maybe share uh, kind of Mr Henchman's feelings to go and do the same you know pick up their pick up the sketchbook or bit of scrap paper whatever it is you draw on tablet even your phone perhaps and and just just get into the habit of trying to draw a little bit more regularly or whatever it is you do whatever type of creation it is really it is really good to create stuff and not just be consuming all the time. Talking of consuming, listen to Henchman's latest episode. He's putting out a zine, the Zine Quest 2. Check it out on Kickstarter and, and go and consume some of that 
henchman goodness. Beans as I'm talking about henchmen, in henchman style, I thought I'd jump in here with a little bit of a post-production addendum. It helps if I mention the name of the zine, and it is called Face Folio. So that's Face Folio by Goblin's Henchman. What's all this? What's all this, Colin? Not a fan of the classic dungeon crawl. Come on now, Colin. Why not? Is it the mapping? Is it the darkness? Is it the unknown exploration? Is it the hole in the ground full of treasure? Yeah, I want to know more about this, Colin. Colin, Aaron Clark, we've been having a good time with uh, some classic dungeon crawls. You should join us, Castle of Morthmayan, one of these days. Holmes basic D&D. Doesn't get any finer than that. Well, maybe it does. All right, man, take it easy. Obviously, Aaron is, is pulling my leg there, but I may have come across a little bit harsh on dungeon crawls. And upon reflection... I think it's not so much the dungeon aspect as the crawl part of the phrase, even when you you combine hex with crawl. Something about that crawling mm, sets a, a little alarm bell ringing in my mind. I think what it is is sometimes you can get into this kind of a grind that, that gets a, a bit tedious, and I think it can be more tedious for the the players perhaps than the DM, although I could be wrong on that one. I haven't got a great theory about this. Uh, I I know that the the so-called dungeon crawl is is a kind of classic style of play, but when we were kids, I don't actually think that term really existed. We didn't talk about dungeon crawls it was always a a D&D adventure we just went adventuring and it was all about whatever that whatever that involved there was a few modules knocking around for us but normally we couldn't afford those and uh, we'd use stuff out of White Dwarf or occasionally a Dragon magazine or Adventure magazine there'd be stuff in there and some of them were a little bit variable I think Duration is important. I like things to keep moving and changing and I don't like the play to get stuck in one kind of style or like in a rut for too long. I like to change things up. So with my 5e game going into the jungle, I don't want this just to be trudge, trudge, trudge through thick jungle running into random stuff i'm i'm gonna have all sorts in that jungle i want to play quite a bit in uh, port nyanzaru and, and make make the most out of various different npcs and and really really get all sorts going on so there's a lot of like light and dark and contrasting types of play i want it to be dynamic whether I achieve it, we will have to wait and see. 
Hey, Colin, Jason here. Sorry about the road noise on the way to work in the van in the rain. You know, I, I enjoyed your latest episode, your calling episode, and it got me thinking. You know, I'm talking about doing this weird war game. I'll talk more about that tomorrow on my podcast, but I'm talking about doing a weird war game on, you know, based in the audio dungeon, recruiting players there. And I was going to use OSC, but I don't have any love for OSC, to be honest. I don't have any issue with it, but I, I don't have any connection to it. I don't have any reason to use it. And and I'm, I'm wondering if I switch it to 5e if I throw people off. And, and they'll say no, or if it, people would be more interested in a 5e modern game. I don't know. What I really want to use is Dogs of War, which is the modern version of Barbarians of Lemuria. I don't know if I'll get the buy-in for that. But if I can't get people to play Dogs of War, I might do 5e instead of OSC. We'll see. We will see. A good while back, I did an episode about river adventures. Uh, It turned into a couple, maybe even three episodes with the callings and whatnot. And yeah, going into the jungle, in the back of my mind, it's interesting you mentioned Vietnam films. In the back of my mind, that that is definitely some of the imagery, especially around the river that's inspired this this need or desire to to play a jungle game. It's not just the the Watsi book, The Tomb of Annihilation. It is some of those films that you see. Most recently, I've watched uh, kind of a survival story, and I think it's actually called Jungle or The Jungle. It's a true story. And once again, rivers are prominent in that. Uh, So it looks like I will actually be getting my river game together. And it sounds like Jason's got plans for one himself. He's explained it there. And if that's something you're interested in and you've got the time, you can catch up with Jason listening to his podcast or jump on the Audio Dungeon Discord and catch up with him there, sign up for a game or or whatever. Ayo, Colin, it's Joe, and that was another fantastic episode, dude. I could listen to you and Ray wax philosophical forever, man. That was just awesome, awesome stuff. At one point, he brought up uh, going to the zoo or checking out elephants, and I absolutely could not agree more. It gives such a crazy perspective on D&D monsters when you go to the zoo. Like, I was looking at a hippo the last time at a zoo, and I was just thinking, okay, all right, that's about the size of a boule. And then looking at a giraffe and seeing how tall it was and just thinking, okay, that maybe is that's as tall as, like, a small giant. Uh, and it just... I think it was really important. It gave just gives such an awesome perspective because it's easy to forget how big animals really get anyway man awesome stuff peace out i'm definitely with joe on this one trip to the zoo for inspiring your kind of role-playing ideas is awesome i also strangely enough think um, theme parks can can have the same effect in some ways They're, they're very kind of dramatic places you you kind of you get all these kind of you get all this adrenaline and emotions getting churned up and you're quite often thrown off of your balance on some of these roller coasters and stuff so i quite often find myself thinking about rpgs then out in nature of course is a classic 
it's you know a lot a lot gets said about books and films but i think there's a lot of real life stuff that you can bring into your game um what's the other one um architecture for me that's a classic getting architectural drawings of buildings you're familiar with and using using those drawings to form maps for adventures and it's particularly effective in spaces that you're familiar with so take a classic building like st paul's cathedral in london you get your tourist map of that you've walked around it you've familiarized yourself with it so it's super easy to then describe it in the game and get a real rich kind of setting so that's now never let it be said that spike pit can't take a bit of abuse and there's no shortage of that from andy now is not the first andy this is what i'm going to call the other andy it's andy from grizzly peaks and i know he likes likes a little bit of sparring a little a few jabs here and there he's been banned from more forums than i can care to name for his trollish behavior that he seems to, he seems to revel in <laughs> And I was, in fact, going to cut his first two messages because it takes him till message number three to actually make his point after he's got done with his little stand-up routine. <laughs> but uh, I guess if he can dish it out, I'm sure he's able to take it. Colin, what have I done? Have I turned the OSR anchorites into a bunch of 5 e apologists. <laughs> this is my fault. Hi mate, it's Andy from Grizzly Peaks here. Um, really enjoyed listening to your episode. You always have a very distinctive and unique point of view and far from being um, unable to articulate as you said in your last message to me, I, I actually think you articulate way better than me because you don't um, end up um, kind of worming your way down to some some theoretical rabbit hole. You just tell it how it is, and, and I really appreciate you for that, man. Um, keep it up. Now, to address your points, my friend. Um, one, aren't they called fighters? You said warriors. Are they warriors? I think they're called fighters, aren't they? Anyway, minor point. Um, <laughs> um, so I'm walking past a school. Oh, what are, they, are they playing football? It's Americans, isn't it? They'll be they'll be winning the World Cup soon. Anyway, uh, what uh, I want to talk about monster stat blocks. I don't talk about mecha- game mechanics <coughs> mechanisms much. Um, I don't think I know a lot about them, to be honest. I'm not really a student of the game. Um, but Monster Stat Blocks in 5e, I think you're being a little bit... Mm, smoothing it over a little bit, I think. So really, in, in my opinion, and I think actually the design intent is to create very distinctive effects in combat from each monster. Each monster, and I know 
probably I think Black Hack you've mentioned does this as well and does it probably in less words, but D and D five E and four four E as well, and I believe three point five as well before that. Um they all had very distinctive effects that the monsters had on on in combat to create this um I guess this variety or um just kind of throwing things in the mix that would um, put players off and um, uh, not put them off, but kind of put them on the back heel, on the back foot, um, but also give them a challenge and something to kind of solve during the combat. And so really you do need, I think, if you're going to run the game in the way it was intended, if that's what you want, (laughs) and of course that's a big debate anyway, but if you want to run the monsters as they're intended, you need to actually... I've really read through the stat block and really know what all these powers do because some of them are very um, distinctive, unique, and com- a little bit complicated and have different um, like uh, recharge t- you know, timers and all kinds of crap and area of effects and then other ongoing effects and all of this stuff. And, and it does make for interesting combats, but you need to know it. Otherwise, you can easily just gloss over it and, and, and make the... The, the fight just like a bag of hit points and some damage and and that's kind of boring in 5e i think because it takes too long to whittle down those bags of hit points and i'm sorry for going off on this tangent because you talked about so many other things but this is a i think an interesting topic and um and then the other thing is uh, as as i think you said in the episode i can't remember is that there's a lot of law there's a lot of background and a lot of uh, interesting information about the monster's habits and lair and and uh, and its and their exotic lifestyles or whatever you want to call them, um, and that is really good to read as well because it can really change the way that you construct the adventure and, and what the monsters are doing in them and also how they fight to some extent. You know, there's some tactical stuff in there. So, yes, if you know all that, you can put it on an index card. But if you don't, and I had this situation a lot i i need to print out the whole thing and have it there and really make sure i don't miss anything so uh peace out as they say and i'm i'm out and andy makes a good point of course all joking aside the index cards you've got to be a little bit careful i've got the pertinent facts on them when i've used them but really now switching over to the monster cards the you know the official published product it is an improvement you've got the art on there as well and as they say a picture paints a thousand words very helpful when you're playing with youngsters i find super fires up their imagination and a little bit easier than trying to show the the pages out of the monster manual but as as for printing that stuff off i'm, I'm not printing off whole pages out of the monster manual i just um I just use the um, like screenshots or I, I take the, the monster. Well, the monster manual is to hand for sure. Uh, the good thing about my new setup, uh, my latest game is I'm going to be actually running from my own house as opposed to playing at our feds. So I haven't got to carry my books or jump onto Beyond. Although, now come to think of it, this is all going to change because I'm actually running the Tomb of Annihilation using D&D Beyond a bit more and uh, it's super easy to look up 
monsters on there. So all, all this, all this chat is going to become a little bit redundant, hopefully. So, uh, yeah, watch this space. And thanks, of course, to Andy Expedition to the Grizzly Peaks is his podcast. If you're not listening, check it out. There you go. Quite a few call-ins there. And I must say, I struggled a little bit today. I, I don't know why. There's quite a range of topics and trying to get it to make some sort of sense and flow a little bit is not always t- too easy. But thanks to the folks who called in. And thanks for the ongoing support to the patrons, the pit crew over on Spike Pit Patreon there, keeping me going and growing. Really do appreciate your your generosity and support, and keep the feedback coming. Love love to read the the feedback. Hopefully, gets I'll be getting some more actual plays up on there soon. Uh, I've been a little bit absorbed with um, my ideas of running again, getting back to five E, absorbing some of the the lore and. Uh, flavor that you you get with these these big old watsey books it all takes time but talking of time i want to thank you the listener for taking a bit of time out of your day to listen to old spike pit once again take care i'll catch you later i fell into a spike pit oh yeah spike pit it would have spikes in it